Hey everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. This is Joe Peterson, and with me as always, Eric Branson. Hey everybody, so um, we're, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. Um, so we're, we're in our second part of our, our two-part uh, Tarantino-ish special, where we're talking about Tarantino movies that he wrote and didn't direct. Um, and this is a, a special intro, actually. We're going to get to the episode in just a minute, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, something that happened recently that kind of puts the conversation that uh, Eric and I have on this episode into some really quite striking context. So um, I guess uh, to, to kind of get let the cat out of the bag, the movie that we talk about in this episode is Oliver Stone's 1994 film Natural Born Killers. Um, and we have a, a really great discussion, I feel, on the themes of that film, which are the role of violence in pop culture. Uh, incidentally, we, we actually recorded the episode. Uh, we always record things a bit ahead of time. Spoiler, right? Um, <laughs> right. Uh, we recorded that on November 7th, 2018. And turns out, as we were wrapping up recording, uh, there was unfolding... Uh, in, Cal- in in Thousand Oaks, California, at the, the Borderline Bar and Grill, there was a, another mass shooting taking place. Now, this is something that obviously is a, a thing that, that keeps happening in our country, and it's something that is constantly part of the national discussion because it, we never seem to get a break from these types of, of horrific tragedies. This particular one left, left 12 people dead. Um, but, you know, when we're, we're having a conversation about a film that was controversial in 1994 now here we are in 2018 and you know 24 years ago people were talking about how you know films like this are are going to inspire violence well it's really a satire and it's a it's a biting satire about mass violence and how it becomes uh sensationalized by the media mm-hmm. um we just felt that it would be inappropriate not to really point out kind of the, the striking coincidence that you know as we are talking about mass violence and mass shootings uh little do we know that one is actually unfolding as uh as we're talking about it yeah i Um, I think it makes the point or what we were talking about in the episode although i think we were a little more jovial and um kind of distanced from it because you know it it had been at least a few days (laughs) at this point since then and i say i i laugh at that but only sardonically um Mm -hmm. since Mm -hmm. we had last witnessed something like this happening um but yeah i think it it really points out how well in a lot of ways how far we've come in a lot of ways how nothing has changed since you know the perspective that this uh the filmmakers intentions of of natural born killers in 1994 because they were addressing you know the, the way that americans perceive violence or even celebrate violence i think is um, Mm -hmm. a major portion of this film and it is a little bit um i think it's it's a little bit he the film itself has a strong sense of irony because it uses you know lots of big over-the-top violence to kind of make a point about violence which is interesting um interesting approach and uh from oliver stone and also the um the media aspect of it. And I think, I think that is something that has just continued to, to grow and makes the movie, at least looking back at it historically interesting. Um, but I do think it just, it, 
makes the entire conversation that we have just hit that much closer to home because as essentially as you like you said as we were talking about this phenomenon um it's it's actually occurring out there you know somewhere in america as unfortunately it feels like could at any moment (laughs) these days right and i don't want to i don't want to uh, give the wrong impression when we talk about media sensationalism of violence that I am at all saying that, you know, oh, the news media is responsible for these types of acts. I'm not saying that at all. Um, in fact, it's simply a reflection. The news media is putting out what we want to see. You know, especially when you have 24-hour news, you're getting 24-hour news entertainment. And right. the reason that I mean, they cover these stories the way they do is because that's what people want to see. So just like in, in Natural Born Killers, how people are obsessed with the, the latest crime Mickey and Mallory have done. Um, well, what do you think What do you think we're watching? I mean, is, when we turn on any news network and they're talking about these kind of things, regardless of what talking head is on, they're talking about what aspect of a debate. Yeah. Um, well, and I you think know, it's we... interesting that the, you bring up Mickey and Mallory, and it's it's interesting the way that that you know Wayne Gale, the character Robert Downey Jr. characters Wayne Wayne Gale in the movie, and also the other media installations just just perseverate on these two people, and they become mm-hmm. kind of these cult celebrities, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Every time we see one of these crimes, these mass shootings or, or bombings, even or um, the exact same thing happens to the perpetrators of those crimes, and they become these instant overnight celebrities in a lot of ways like all they want all you know talking heads on the news doing 24 hours of coverage on you know digging through every letter or facebook post these um murderers ever made and trying to figure out you know what what are their motives or whatever like that's even important in the first place i mean because obviously somebody who commits a crime or an atrocity like that is probably not a clear thinking sane level-headed individual so i mean i don't really get the obsession with motive it's never made sense to me. Like, um, why do you think you're just all of a sudden you're gonna find out like what this person was thinking? You're gonna be like, oh, okay. Well, now yeah. I understand. Like, no, of course you're not, because right. you're a sane person. Well, at least I hope you are. <laughs> you know. So um, right. Well, and and, and I think you know, I'm, to I'm not gonna the, I'm not gonna <laughs> use I'm not gonna use this individual's name. Uh, I refuse to use any of their names. And, no, and I agree with that 100. Um, percent and, and I'm not gonna read the direct quote, but but just to kind of where this hits home even more is the mm-hmm. fact that. Right before committing his his murder, um, this individual in California actually posted something on Facebook about what he was about to do, and he made a, a, a point on there about how it's not like you guys are going to do anything. You're just going to be sending each other thoughts and prayers. So even he's mocking the the current system that yeah, we the use. stalemate, if we can the, call it that. Yeah. Yeah, that this is going nowhere. Now, now we have mass shooters, mass shooters calling us out on our bullshit, and that's if I don't know what's going to be the wake up call. To be honest, I mean, we were talking before we we decided to actually start rolling on this this <laughs> intro about how you know if, if nothing was going to change after Sandy Hook, I I don't know what would cause change now. I mean, I I welcome it at any time, but yeah, I, what. what... At what point is enough enough? I mean, it should have been. <laughs> it mean, should have been Columbine. enough before it happened. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. Um, uh, so I'd go all the way know. Jonesboro, Arkansas, or or you know anyone that happened prior to that. But yeah, true. Unfortunately, we you know I actually saw an old issue of Time Magazine when the Jonesboro massacre happened from the '90s, and it made the cover of Time Magazine. Mm-hmm. It was that shocking. Today, people don't even remember one that happened a week ago. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty sad. So, I mean, I guess looking at Oliver, you know, Natural Born Killers are supposed to be Oliver Stone's vision of the present at the time. And I would say not only has that vision not improved in 24 years, but actually it's gotten worse. I think I Oliver it. Stone made a, a film that attempted to point out some of the problems with our society by using things like farce, uh, by using, you know, parody, things that are just kind of the over-the-top aspect of it. Um, unfortunately, his over-the-top in 1993 per- almost predicted the future. Things did get that ridiculous and still are becoming more and more ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah. It we almost seems it. more realistic now, <laughs> unfortunately. It uh, does. Yeah. When I think at the time it was, you know, it was it was a comment on um how far things could go or if things kept continuing down that that trail. So Yeah. This podcast I is, you know, I I'd never want to use it for a political soapbox. I hope um you guys don't think we're doing that, but at the same time I think it would be a mistake not to acknowledge um, this the, the current events and these incidents because I we, we we were talking about violence in America and the things that this film had to say about it so I think it is very relevant to this episode and that's why we felt it was necessary to go back yeah. and and record a new intro for this just kind of to frame it up in in you know yeah I mean, all the way up to date at this moment we we know as as the the two guys talking about movies and making this podcast we know this coincidence like holy shit as we were wrapping up recording that episode this was happening and pretty much everything we were talking about was kind of happening um and and we want to share that with you i I think that's something that um as we said at the beginning of this it it puts that conversation into a broader uh context into a more i guess more of a clear context i guess um so please by all means enjoy the episode uh, we'll be back soon with more episodes that hopefully aren't, I don't know. The next thing we're going to be talking about is vampires and werewolves. I think that's pretty safe. <laughs> I hope so, you know, but, yeah. um, but by all means, enjoy the episode and please, uh, leave us some feedback, uh, about this discussion. Again, we, we're not trying to get a bunch of active, you know, trolls and political debate going, but, um, yeah, this is yeah, reality. I mean, tell us what so. you think is natural born killers. Is this, is Oliver Stone's statement? still relevant like did, yeah. does it does it speak to you the same way i think especially after the events of the last week the same way that uh it did to us or you know so let us know what you think it's uh certainly lots of room for yeah. debate and discussion so. so but thanks again for listening listen to the episode enjoy we'll catch you next time video junkyard podcast Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. This is Eric Gobranson and with me as always is my co-host Joe Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome back. How's it going Joe? It's going pretty good, how about yourself? Oh, pretty good. Um, I, uh, this next movie we're going to be talking about tonight, I'm excited because uh, as, <laughs> I was, as I was telling you before the show, I not to talk politics of course, but I, I was watching this to get my mind off of the election last week mm-hmm. and i was like i'll watch this instead of watching election coverage as the polls are coming in <laughs> and it it just made it really really weird because <laughs> it's still... kind of interesting <laughs> how like relevant this unfortunately still is in a lot of ways or at it least really the things is. that it brings up but 
Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, 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 disclaimer, I guess, right off the top here, I, I, I'm not going to make, you know, this is both of our podcasts, I'm not going to make a big, bold statement on it, but I don't feel like we are an apolitical podcast, like, I won't ever bring up politics, I just don't want it to be a political podcast either. We're here to talk about movies, sometimes movies have a lot to say about society, and have, Mm -hmm. you know, very strong politics of their own, so I don't mind diving in, and, you know, letting the world know my opinion on that. I feel like we also hold a open table here, and if you have an opinion, you know, you're always welcome to yeah, please you know, to join the discussion with us. And just as long as you're respectful to you know others in the group and and um, you know not just an outright bigot, I think we are going to be fine and have a good conversation. So yeah, that's, and, that's and my... actually, and I think you know this film that we're going to be talking about tonight really kind of. Uh, like you said, there's it's it's a it's a dated film like a lot of the stuff we talk about here on the the in the junkyard is, uh, yes. but it it does have it's it's still relevant today. I mean, so the, this is a controversial film, um, you know, gotta make it sound this... like we're, we're watching you know like some Nazi propaganda film. We're not, but like we're about <laughs> to we're about to do our review of Salo to twenty. Oh God, <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I think Why this would is... that be a show? Holy um, shit. But no, this is, I think, one that... It was extremely controversial when it came out. It's still controversial today. Um, it, you know, it still kind of has that feel to it. Uh, but it also may... has some relevancy in, in discussions about society. Correct me if you... if in this, uh, I always say correct me if I'm wrong as I'm about to spout out something that's totally an opinion. But if, <laughs> if you can think of anything else that was more controversial than this in the 90s, I mean what would that be like this was really the controversy film and i think it's because a major hollywood studio put this out um you know this wasn't like some grindhouse low budget straight to video uh, affair this was something made by you know a major studio with major talent that being stars that were relevant at the time uh some that still are and um made by a major popular director at the time i oliver stone has since kind of shot himself in the foot repeatedly but uh, yeah. I think I just gave away what movie this was going to be, but I think everybody probably figured it out anyway. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I think, can't think of anything. I, I, um, I think this I mean, was the one. I mean, this this even um, when the you know uh, the Columbine school massacre was mm-hmm. touted was as being um, you know influenced by this movie, whether fairly or not, because I don't remember the actual perpetrators of the crime actually saying anything about natural born killers. I think it was just. The, the big scapegoat, you know, <laughs> that was out there right. because it was such a um, graphic depiction of violence. But anyway, so we kind of introduced the film already. Let's go ahead before we dive into all of this wonderful 90s controversial um, stuff. Let's go ahead mm-hmm. and introduce the movie. And that is uh, 1994 Oliver Stone's film Natural Born Killers. Platoon. Wall Street. Born on the 4th of July, JFK. Oliver Stone's vision has changed the way we saw our past. Now he takes a look at where we are and where we're going. And you'll be shocked at what he sees. Thousands. I love you so 
Watched by millions. We're fighting. Can't stop fighting. Nobody can. It's kind of like the Twilight Zone or something. Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Robert Downey Jr., and Tommy Lee Jones. What do you have to say to your fans? You ain't seen nothing yet. Natural Born Killers. In the media circus of life, they were the main attraction. Um, which was directed by Oliver Stone and story by Quentin Tarantino. So that's how it fits yeah. into our two-part Quentin Tarantino um, special. Right. Tarantino wrote a script called Natural Born Killers that featured all of the, or most of the characters, um in one way in one form or another but supposedly there are and i have actually read it's been a long time but i did read his natural born killer script and there are distinct differences between the two right um so screenplay credit goes to richard rutowski oliver stone david valets and rodney dangerfield of all people who wrote his own dialogue for the movie uh, what, what a great accomplishment there if you've ever seen the movie my god um but well and i, I just want to mention briefly that uh there, there's a direct connection with this film and the one we talked about last week, True Romance. And I, I didn't want to give this away last week, but when we had talked last week about Tarantino was, you know, writing stories and screenplay and stuff when he was still working at a video store, he was working on this massive script called The Open Road. And uh, what that really was was essentially what True Romance became. But in in his version, original version. Uh, the character of Clarence, Christian Slater's character in True Romance, would have been writing the screenplay that would have been Natural Born Killers while he's on the road with his wife, Alabama. <laughs> That's interesting. So. I, you, you mentioned that to me just prior to recording mm-hmm. the show tonight, and I had not heard that, but after hearing it, it's like, okay, well, that makes makes total sense. These are similar characters, uh, one obviously being the, you know, larger than life kind of blown out of proportion version of the other but right i could see that i could see clarence worley's fantasy fantasy world kind of becoming the world of natural born killers in a way mm-hmm. yeah I think so apparently them. when he was still working at video archives um the the video store he wrote these scripts and the idea was that they would you know like i said be kind of put together uh he wasn't able to get all the funds to to kind of make this happen so he decided he would just kind of break them apart and his his first attempt was to make true romance into like a small low budget movie and then ultimately these ended up changing and i think natural born killers has gone through more changes you know, i mentioned last week that this has tarantino's thumbprint on it and it does but you can definitely tell it's been filtered and and there was some some uh, other kind of production changes that went on especially with the scripts and stuff like that you know kind of like when a studio takes a movie and they take it from the director and they change things up and it becomes a totally different movie kind of like justice league because there's our dc reference for the week um <laughs> man yeah. you're you're trying hard to get them in now so hey it worked though that's what matters <laughs> but no i think that really happens here and that's something that i was keeping in mind when i was watching natural born killers for this episode was i know this is a tarantino story and I can feel that, but it almost you, feels like... Cause, and if, Do you want to talk a little bit about the supposed feud between Oliver Stone and Tarantino on the set? Um, You know, I, I don't know if I know enough about it to really say. Let me, let me 
give you a quick rundown. Natural Born Killers, in case anyone isn't familiar. Um, Natural Born Killers is a 1994 American satirical black comedy crime film. Wow, added another few adjectives there. Directed by Oliver Stone and starring Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Robert Downey Jr., Tom Sizemore, and Tommy Lee Jones. The film tells the story of two victims of traumatic childhoods who become lovers and mass murderers and are irresponsibly glorified by the mass media. So that's the synopsis. That's what we get. Um, yeah. it, I mean, generally, that, that kind of does it. Um, I think what isn't, if we're going to go there right away, what isn't Tarantino about this movie is that his dialogue has been so heavily rewritten. There's not many moments in here that it sounds like a Tarantino movie to me. Right. And it looks nothing like a Tarantino movie. Oliver Stone is another director who is certainly a stylist. Like, everything he's ever done has this really strong sense of style to it, especially this movie. This movie plays like a music video on more drugs than music videos are. And um, it's it's extremely 90s in a lot of ways that it's almost a little annoying to watch at points, but it's still got a lot of really great points, too. So, anyway probably getting a little too far ahead of myself i know that quentin tarantino is not a fan of this movie in fact he claims to hate it it's the only thing that anyone has made based on anything that he's written that he does not care for he does not hold a he's been very careful to say he does not hold a personal bone against oliver stone it's his vision or whatever but he does not care for the film Hmm. um probably has a little bit to do with ego i would assume they rewrote his script so heavily um I don't know. I'm not sure what he doesn't like about it. I, I have a feeling it's because of the fact that it is... Uh, it. If I remember correctly, this has been a long time I read it in college, and I'm getting kind of old here, so um, my I did read the, the Quentin Tarantino Natural Born Killers script, which is in print, by the way. I did find a copy of it and just put it on my wish list on Amazon because I like to read it again, but there's a book version of it in print if anyone's interested in actually sitting down and reading that. But I remember that being, I mean, obviously, but being very Tarantino-esque. It being long scenes that kind of build based on the, you know, events leading up to them, and then the, you know, kind of tension comes to the forefront in this Wayne Gale, Mickey Knox um, interview that's going to happen at prison, and the body of the film happens around all of that. So let's say the last third of natural born killers is what i remember quentin tarantino's script pretty much being entirely and it's yeah. just stretched out a little bit more and, and there's flashbacks and it, obviously he always kind of tell the story non-chronologically but that's the framing of the entire film yeah it, oliver stone tossed that he told the story a little more chronologically although it's a very very psychedelic film um it's, it i feel like it's all over the place uh it you know, I don't know if it was just my mindset. I loved, I loved this movie, growing up, and I, mm-hmm. which is kind of kind of scary as violent as it was. But I think I saw it probably the first time when I was 13, 14 years old, mm-hmm. and absolutely loved it. It was when I saw it a dozen times at least, if not more, throughout my teenage years. And then for some reason, I haven't seen it in a really long time. Like it just kind of fell off my radar. Not when mm-hmm. I revisited a lot. Um. And I'll have to say, by the first, like, 30 minutes of the film, I was getting a little annoyed with the style, honestly. It was just yeah. something about it just wasn't... It, 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 it settles down, and the latter half of the film coasts... Or not coasts necessarily, like, there's no problems with it, but um, I prefer it a lot more. And maybe that's just because that's the Tarantino-y part of the movie, and that's when the, like, real strong... Um, 
point of the movie come, starts to really dive in when you first get the Wayne Gale stuff going. I mean, we're we're already forty five minutes into the film when like you really get the crux of what okay, I get what's going on now. This you know over um, over hyping of violence and the the you know kind of saying the media uh, the way the media pushes these um, events and and such mass murder etc. Yeah. Um, and it makes, in context, when it's put in context, it makes the first part of the film, I guess, make a little more sense. But um, I don't know. What do you What do you think about it? Like, it's. I, I think. Um, well, first of all, um, I I have this affinity, this love for films that are a bit dated, and when you revisit <laughs> yeah. them, they work on a totally different level than what was originally intended. Mm-hmm. And that's a very specific thing, but it, I can think of a handful of films that have done it. And this one, in rewatching it just the other, uh, just last week, it, um, it, I, I kind of realized that. So I agree. Yeah, some of the style stuff gets a little old, um, but I started appreciating it for a totally different reason that I couldn't have appreciated back in the '90s when I first saw it because it wasn't now. So does that make sense? Um, yeah. Right. Well, it, it, it kind of. Uh, it, people uh, change, the world changes, we've learned a lot of things right. as so a society, it's essentially, as people. As, yeah. yeah, so I mean, I got, I, I have, to, what I appreciate, it, appreciate about it, it's almost like, I guess it's the akin to like writing fan fiction. No, it's not canon, it's not the intended part of the story, but damn, it really works in this way. Um, and the, the way that the movie is stylized, it's so over the top. In fact, even that third act during the prison riot escape and everything, this hyper-violent, the world is going insane, it's almost <laughs> like a Childish Gambino video, it's just nuts, right? right. Um, All set to, like, banging industrial music, like Ministry and... <laughs> tri- so. Yeah, tri- Reznor stuff. It, it's, yeah. it's great soundtrack, too. I just want to throw that. This movie has a fucking amazing soundtrack. But well, it, Yeah, we could yeah. mention that. You mentioned yeah. Trent Reznor real quickly, but yeah, he... Yeah. A different conversation, but yeah, he made a mm-hmm. really interesting soundtrack that's almost it's entirely own entity and that's worth checking out as well yeah but i think you know so this is so over the top and the style is so over the top and then you have this this kind of during that third act you've got this forefront thing about how the media have essentially created this cult following around these two mass murderers and i understand that Mm -hmm. the original intent of this film was to kind of portray that we glorify violence and that we idolize violence i mean go all the way back to if you're a little kid and you grew up hearing about the wild west you know it's like yeah these are all murderers and and horrible horrible people right but Mm -hmm. they're famous billy the kid is famous jesse james is famous and all that stuff um watching this movie in 2018 where we have a lot of uh reality tv we have I mean, our own news nowadays. I'm not going to get off on like a what's fake news and what's not bullshit, but um, <laughs> a lot of our our media, we have a hard time telling the difference between what is news and what is opinion, right? Right. And I will go on the record and bashing this motherfucker, but you know, people actually listen to Alex Jones and think that he's giving you the news, <laughs> you know, shit like that. So yeah. this film works today in a very different way because it's almost like oh, this third act, this is something that's really happening in the movie. No, it could not be. This could all just be, once again, this kind of hard copy-esque portrayal. It's all through a filter. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but I don't know if that makes any sense. No, <laughs> um, I, I think it, that's... I it think kind of works. the nail on the head. I think that's exactly what Oliver Stone was going for. 
really in the hammy like over like even the even in performance like even some of and then if you notice there's peaks and valleys in it especially yeah. in the first part of the film like there are moments when even like you know Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis are are like really hamming it up and then but then they have like quiet moments between the two of them where they're both like really acting and and playing the characters and then all of a sudden they're these hammy over the top you know larger than life so yeah i i think oliver stone intended that 100 percent. i think when they're you know when they're killing when they're murderers Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be these um oliver stone's a smart filmmaker i'm not as big a fan of his um i think i find some of his symbolism especially in this film and some of his other 90s films to be like really really ham-fisted like um instead of just kind of letting you decide something he's got to show you like 10 images to like tell you exactly what you're supposed to think about the sin you know like right. <laughs> um i find that that gets old i think that's probably the style i guess didn't bother me as much as it it reminded me of this is a much better film, but like when I first saw it, it, being a, a, a fan of music and, and horror films in the nineties, when I, when Rob Zombie first made his first movie house of a thousand corpses, mm-hmm. I was very excited to see that movie. And, um, I think I've grown a little bit into it and I can go back and look at it now and it's, it's fine, whatever. But, um, I was pretty taken aback by its style kind of in the same way as this movie like it's like this is just like a two-hour music video like i could just um yeah i don't know um i'm being a little hypercritical of both i think because i i don't i don't hate either of those films this is a much better film than house of a thousand corpses like i said it's not a oh, great, certainly great uh <laughs> analogy but it, it's um, it, like i still think it, it works it, it is it's an effective movie and we're still in this country having discussions about mass violence mm-hmm. and you know of course one of the big things that was very controversial with this film was the claims of uh copycat crimes uh because yes. essentially this film there was a very brief time where yeah the names mickey and mallory were kind of popular because this film was very popular right mm-hmm. uh very similar to how and no this isn't a forest reference but when um when Suicide Squad came out a couple years ago and everybody was like, oh, I want a relationship like Harley Quinn and the Joker. I'm like, did you watch the fucking movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, same kind of thing here. There was a very brief, misguided group of people that thought this is something that was cute and to idolize because I think in part it was so over the top and cartoonish. Yeah, um, and again, I think that's exactly <coughs> what the filmmakers, yeah. all the way back to Tarantino's script, what they were commenting on, the way that you know, yeah. our media or the way our country or po- even pop culture makes heroes out of villains or heroes out of, you know, these mass murderers. Um, you know, the, the, there's a it's, couple it's, of it's brief very animated much, scenes. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting movie to look at now because it's very much at the first stage of what I feel was about to become a national crisis of, of violence. And um, it's a reaction already to that. Um, to that phenomenon and what how the media treats things you know the way that you know somebody can walk into a building and murder said amount of people the only thing that the media wants to talk about is the the person wielding the gun or the person whatever you know the the perpetrator and they just obsess over you know what are their motives what are you know who who are their neighbors who are this and that and they want to get this this you know whole picture it's i don't know it's interesting because uh, it's gone on, and this movie really kind of like what might have seemed cartoonish, over the top. The words we keep using to describe it at the time 
has in a lot of ways become a reality of the way we portray those offenders now. I think so too. Um, yeah. I mean, I they, would... they, we very much we very much portray them as the as the freaks, as the circus freaks. But we're but in the same way as a circus freak, we're all glued to you know to our TVs. I mean, not me personally, but I'm saying collectively as a um, society is you know the kind of can't look away effect. Um, yeah, and I think this this movie by make by making it a romance or a kind of you know like having this romance this disturbed romance between these two mm-hmm. characters in it. I mean, obviously that's borrowing. This movie is very heavily inspired by Bonnie and Clyde. Yes, you know, which yeah. is a, a famous true you know these two couple criminals, bank robbers, and and murderers. Um, this is take this is almost like an updated version, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not Warren Beatty. You know, it's, 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 let's be honest, this is a fucked up film. Um, with a, with a really, everybody in it's a screwed up character. You know, there's no, no good characters in this movie. There's no like good, like meaning good people, uh, really. It's, um, everybody is. Except for Oliver Stone. What is it with Oliver Stone and the Indian? Uh, and by Indian, I mean Native American. Like the, um, I don't know. He's always got to throw some, you know, wise old Indian into everything that he does. And well, I, I think Indian yeah. again. I apologize. For I, I think that's it's supposed because to that's be... the way they refer to him in the film. And yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it, in a way it's meant to be kind of symbolic of pure humanity. You know, especially when juxtaposed against viciousness like this. Yeah. Um, no. Whether I mean, I... whether it's you know who knows what, you know, whether that's really accurate or not. I think that's. Um, that's the intent. That's what I've always taken from the intent in, in mm-hmm. his use of, of native peoples in, in his films. Um, but yeah, yeah no, I, I, I know what I totally you mean about like the, por- the portrayal of this. It, there's actually, to say this is cartoonish violence, there's actually short animated sequences and there's psychedelic imagery and there's hallucinations and visions and all this weird shit going on, these flashes on the screen. Um, and it's very much a satire but also holding up a mirror to mass media you know you mentioned how the media tends to glorify uh criminals and murderers and things like that i think it's something we've always done oh, and certainly i think there's a certain amount of like just humanity to yeah. to blame for that but but and i think one of the fascinations too is is you notice a lot with with this film you know they they keep he keeps throwing in these snippets of excuse me, of like a, uh, a hard childhood, an abusive childhood, and bad upbringing, mm-hmm. and, and so on, which humanizes these characters, right? It, it right. gives them a human aspect, and we do the same thing. When somebody commits a horrible atrocity, the first question we get about them is, you know, what was their home life like? And if it's complete shit, if it's like this person had the red flags everywhere, that's not really the first thing that's usually reported. It's usually... I mean, what's you know, it's the old joke when a serial killer was caught and the neighbors were like, oh, he's a nice guy, always kept to himself. Because yeah. that's a human thing. You know, if they were like, oh, yeah, I used to see him skin live cats all the time, then that's like, well, then why didn't you say anything, yeah, right? that's implicating we, yourself in... <laughs> right, we like, the, we like that, we as, as a, a, a society like that human aspect to our, our monsters, I yeah. think. Because it, it adds to our fear... And ultimately, this, in my opinion here, uh, the pro- the prevalence, how common we see that done in the media, I think shows that we like hearing about this stuff for entertainment. 
I think we enjoy yeah. as a society hearing about violence, and oh, especially certainly. violence conducted by conducted by humans uh, that we can relate to scares us so we enjoy it because of our of the entertainment it's a it's a fascination you know some people call it a sick fascination well if, if that's the if it's sick that's most of our society because we are attracted to it like a moth to the flame yeah, just my I mean, my soapbox there but i i no, think this I, movie I think is a good reflection of that yeah and i think it'd be naive to disagree with with that because i think there's enough uh evidence i mean just just the simple prevalence nowadays of what um, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't coin the phrase, but what I would call like infotainment, um, being mm-hmm. kind of a replacing, you know, the five o'clock news, this 24 hour news cycle that, um, kind of forces things to become more, you know, pundancy or quote unquote, like I just said, infotainment. Um, yeah, it, I think it's a byproduct of, businesses trying to fill the need of you know filling 24 hours worth of content and yeah. what what do people what are people interested in well it's it's the freak show like a, you know we said earlier it's the um things that we can't understand that make us feel a little uncomfortable always draw our interest and i think that makes us incredibly uncomfortable the guy next door might be capable of or the guy or girl i mean mm-hmm. next door might be capable of you know, some some terrible yeah. atrocity, or the, or the couple driving down the highway going opposite of you. You know that that maybe right. they're Mickey and Mallory. I actually last week when we were talking about true romance, we brought up how um, Tarantino was among some of the earliest '90s filmmakers to really start doing things that we would now call meta, mm-hmm. right? Self-aware. Um, do you think that plays? into this fascination with violence because when things are my my hypothesis on this here is that when when we identify something like that we have a connection to it it takes place in our world in our universe not this fictional film universe it's happening in our real world because they're talking about a movie that i know of too and that thus makes it more real more entertaining more scary but now i like it even more do you think that's possible? That's what's going on. I I totally think that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, I think some of it's just kind of like dropping its nods to, you know, people that appreciate the same things as the the authors. Oh, sure, the sure. But I do, do think, think that's yeah, a... I think it sets them it sets people in a real world. I but think Do you think that's why it's popular and why we see it in so much because it's so effective? I sure, yeah. I mean, I think nothing nothing more can scare someone like in a thriller or a horror film or some sort of a monster movie is if because you're about to present your audience with something very fantastic to early on in the film, um, you know, put a baseline down that this is happening, you know, in a world that we all understand and, and occupy together. So yeah, give them, you know, have some news on in the background that has real world events going on, you know, have mm-hmm. the people talking about the things you talk about with your friends, you know, um, have talking about the movies that you like or the bands that you listen to. I think that works really well for whatever your contemporary audience is. And I, um, yeah, I think, I think that they were catching on, you know, writers were catching on to that. Um, it also, you know, unintentionally probably could cause some things to not age well either, but, um, swinging this back real quick. And I don't mean to get off. This is a very, this is very much the conversation we should be having about natural born killers because it is the conversation that the people responsible for making this film would want you know we're pushing or right. we're wanting to have with the audience however because we're talking a little bit about quentin tarantino i just wanted to get back to kind of like what would uh you know what was tarantino about this movie and what wasn't 
And I know mm-hmm. one of the biggest things, I don't know if this is a criticism that comes directly from Quentin Tarantino or not, and I don't remember well enough about the script to tell you what exactly is in there or not, but I know one of the biggest beefs that he had with him, or I think one of the biggest beefs he had with this movie, was the fact that you mentioned that they went back and wrote a backstory to these characters and they humanized them. Mm-hmm. And from what I remember about his script is that it's none of that. Um, right. And it really creates an odd moment in the latter part of this film when, when Wayne Gale is interviewing Mickey Knox and asks him about, you know, why, why do you do this? Why do you kill people? You know, what is your motivation? And Mickey Knox just spews out some fancy sounding crap about, well, there's so much violence in movies and I hate all that violence. Basically just feeding him exactly what he wants to hear. Right. Cause Mickey Knox is a manipulator. Um, but I don't remember Tarantino's script ever giving them like, well, you know, it wasn't that her, you know, Mallory was beaten and raped as a as a young girl by her stepfather or her father actually, not her stepfather. Um, it wasn't that you know, um, Mickey was abused as a child and this and that. It was that Tarantino's script presented them as an enigma, uh, totally created by the media. Like they were, there was no, um, you know background that yeah. kind of made an excuse for the behavior there was no excuse for the behavior and in the end you know they they became this phenomenon and then he uh i don't remember he lets them get away with it the way oliver stone does either oliver stone actually treats these two people as the as the heroes or the protagonists of the film mm-hmm. and forgives them in a way of saying forgives is the wrong word because but giving them that kind of a backstory creates sympathy for yeah. them. I feel like that was where and why, although I don't think he was a fan of the style of the film either, but I'm pretty sure that's where Quentin Tarantino said, man, I fucking hate this because this mm-hmm. is not exact. This is not what I wanted to do at all. I wanted these, you know, so I'm not sure which one I prefer at the end of the day. Um, I do think in its premise, I'm more fascinated with the original Tarantino version of there not being a way to really understand the motivations of these characters because the media is always so like wrapped in on like what what is their motive what is their motivation when you know obviously somebody that's doing things like this is not a sane person so really understanding their motivation is just a bunch of media gobbledygook really um right it's not gonna their motivation is their you know it's not as simple as they're fucking crazy but it kind of is that simple at the same time um you're not you're you, you, i don't know i'm not gonna go down that i've tried try to get to the the point of that I think that's what's not Tarantino-y about this movie and the latter half when his dialogue is you know the little bits of his dialogue that are still there mainly the interview scene Mm -hmm. and some of the stuff that happens around the prison um it almost is doesn't make sense in the movie anymore because uh I don't know (laughs) anyway just a gripe of mine like it just I know what you mean. When when I say that this has Tarantino's thumbprint on it, maybe that's not the right phrase. It, you can you can feel a bit of the DNA in it. Oh, certainly. Um, the characters it, are it, very yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's um, even Jack Skagnetti, Tom Sizemore's police yeah. officer in this movie, is a very Tarantino-y character as well. Uh, yeah, probably uh, the most. Well, him and and <laughs> I, honestly, my favorite character of this whole movie is Tommy Lee Jones as the warden. As the warden, yeah. Just because, well, for two reasons. One, because it's just such a great performance of one of my favorite actors. It I is probably Tommy my Jones. most, I mean, it is very similar to his Two-Face, but mm-hmm. um, in some ways, but it's probably my favorite one of his characters in 
anything. I don't know. He's not not he's to just mention swarthy. Like yeah, I know, and I know what you're gonna say next. But oh yeah, swarthy. Yeah. I was gonna kind of describe him like <laughs> um, slick back hair, pencil thin mustache, swarthy like warden who kind of thinks he's the end all be all of justice. Right? He's kind of preaching about how he, you know, is how he runs things here and uh, um, bad suit and all of that kind of yeah. stuff that we have. Um, um, <laughs> but I also. So when 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 we were in college, we took that uh, we took an intro geography course at Southern Illinois University together, and our professor, great pepper salt and pepper grayish hair, slicked back, a lot of big tweed suits and funky looking ties, pencil thin mustache. Doc Horsley looked exactly like Tommy Lee Jones. It couldn't have been more perfect. He even kind of talked like him. Yeah, he did. It was, uh, yeah, I, I almost quite like, as, wonder, like, you know, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, yeah, that that was what kept me going to class every every day. Like, I was did, like, did right. Oliver Stone meet this guy at some point? Like, um, I don't know, but yeah, he was he was uh, this person, and I, I think like right away we were talking about, oh, we both had this same instructor, and you're like, you know who he reminds me of, and I knew right away, like, <laughs> yeah, he's you know, just like yeah. Tommy well, Lee Jones and Natural Born Killers. <laughs> And, and and if if you're listening, Doc, I mean that in no offense. It was just always an amusing thing to me. Not to mention, we never did figure out if his name was actually Doc, or if he was a professor. <laughs> I, but it was was it Professor Horsley? Well, I don't never knew what his first name I was. I prefer that Doc. to be one of the mysteries of the world. Actually, what's <laughs> <laughs> Doc Horsley? But just not to get off on a tangent. But just because this is a heavy discussion, so it's fun to lighten it up for a moment. But one of the funniest things about this professor in this course is. He, he and his wife, Marilyn, I'll never forget, um, <laughs> essentially kind of Forrest Gumped their way into everything in life. Oh, my like, God, yeah. They you were... know, like, oh, yeah, you know, so we're going to talk about the economy of Haiti today in geography. And here's pictures, here's slides of Marilyn and I on vacation in Haiti. Oh, yeah, this is when the baby Doc Dubier uprising started happening. And they're there. Yeah. They're, like, right there. Oh, it's in Tiananmen Square. Let's do it here, too. And... Yeah, this is me talking with the, the kid from the famous Tiananmen Square picture hours before the picture was taken or something along those lines yeah. like yeah he did it like literally really the crazy. forrest gump analogy is is great because it just kind of stumbled into all of these you know which was very entertaining i expect in class, like but... just to be flipping through history books or you know world's most famous <laughs> photographs you know the the big uh v v e day or vj day um kissing in Times Square photo There's and I'm Doc. expecting Doc like, Horsley to be back there somewhere. He's like Woody Allen and Zalig. You know, he just kind of yeah, pops exactly. up there and there and stuff. But uh, anyway, oh, back Zalig. to Natural Born Killers. We should Killers. do a show on Zalig, by the oh, way. Yeah, That's we great. Should, yeah, that is a very good one. Anyway, back to Natural Born Killers. No, I, I think um, this film and, and it's it's Tarantino DNA. That's It's present. You can see it, but it's hard to pinpoint. You mentioned the prison stuff, and I think that's the closest but mm-hmm. it reminds me of... Well, and keep in mind that Quentin Tarantino... I think I mentioned this earlier. I won't mm-hmm. repeat too much. But I, I think his script used that interview as its framing mechanism. Mm-hmm. Like, everything was framed around that interview. And then, then it would flash back to here and there and everywhere. Yeah. But that was the crux of his entire but movie. I, I feel like this, as a, as a Tarantino story, it's kind of like... Um, it feels like another director tried to make a Tarantino movie and pass it off. It kind of, I guess, I guess the the best analogy I can give is uh, when the when the big film version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came out mm-hmm. about ten years ago or whatever. Um, I described it to somebody as like watching the cast of Mad TV reenact Monty Python sketches. 
<laughs> it just didn't feel right because it wasn't it didn't feel british enough um and yeah. in in this case it was like yeah you can tell okay yeah i can see how at one point this evolved from a tarantino story but it kind of feels oh, totally. like oliver stone being like i'm gonna make a tarantino I, movie and it it i shows don't disagree that with not. you on that it's premise or its backbone is certainly very quote-unquote you know tarantino-y but i do think i disagree with you say what you said about it is like another filmmaker making something in the style of tarantino because i really feel like it's got i mean it's got style to spare that's for sure but i don't feel like any of it is the same type of style that quentin Mm. tarantino would I just yeah. don't think it feels at all like a Tarantino movie. It's very much an Oliver Stone movie, and if you're familiar yeah, it, with any of his other oh, work, yeah. it's like I'm, I was I mean, more right surprised. down to like the symbolism, and I was more I think surprised I wrote, like, four... that the doors weren't playing in this at any time. That <laughs> exactly. was the only thing that, made, like, that made me forget it was an Oliver Stone film. Though I, think I wrote I... four or five times down in my notes, like you know, some of the like imagery or some of the like subtext of the movie of just like geez heavy-handed much or like you know yeah we we don't get that these characters are evil and are you know or we always have to have like the devil version of them and they're um you know blood-soaked whatever i don't know yeah the the, like cross imagery or the psychedelic stuff wears thin in this Mm -hmm. narrative it does it's not because i don't like psychedelic kind of themed movies and i even enjoy some of oliver stone's movie movies um i don't think it works well for this story like oftentimes there are some scenes it does i actually kind of like the um scene at the native with the um, native americans and the snakes and the mm-hmm. that it's fine it, it kind of feels like it's out of another film but yeah uh, but oh, yeah, it's a good scene you're right it does feel out of place but it's a good scene um i i, I wanted to say you know, i mentioned before that the soundtrack is is really good but i being a being a big Leonard Cohen fan, I, I automatically have to give this movie props for having a lot of Leonard Cohen songs in yeah, it. Yeah, it starts um, and ends. Yeah, and and it's um, and yeah, overall, it's got a very very good soundtrack. I the the psychedelic and the stylistic stuff, you know, yeah, I agree. It kind of wears thin. One of the things I do like about it though is it does rather heavy handedly, admittedly, uh, does a good job of portraying the flashes of insanity especially in the scene in the beginning in the diner when you're you know they're just kind of a grouchy couple kind of you know that are in this diner you know woody harrelson's character you know mickey is ordering pie and now valerie is kind of bored um but even the way that you know like he's talking to the waitress and then it, it it's like a black and white version of her repeating the line in a different way it kind of does it's a really good job and this is obviously intended of kind of showing the the madness in these people's minds how they how they're seeing things differently when they walk past something or when they talk to somebody mm-hmm. um i liked that i didn't care for the now we're going to do a you know bugs bunny cartoon bullet view thing and you know the the cartoons and the like you said the demon imagery and stuff that just kind of wore thin but i did like the weird flashes of of how they're seeing people differently a line is repeated in a different way i thought that was effective enough i mean some of it totally works and i a lot of people criticize the rodney dangerfield laugh track sitcom bit about mallory's childhood i actually think that works Mm -hmm. um i think it's kind of a clever juxtaposition with the laugh track and the sitcom background um i think it's more just the 
I don't know, the constant switching back and forth in the overcrank to the overcrank black and white and um, for no well, reason. Well, and, and that you're right, that family scene with the laugh track in it, I mean, that's since this movie is making all these statements about our portrayal of of violence and stuff in, in popular culture and in the media, whether the media is news media or entertainment media, you know, it's this is like, yeah, this that whole scene, you know, the, the laugh track sitcom scene does really come off very what if Archie, you know, this is what Archie Bunker would probably be more like, kind of a, <laughs> right. you know. Well, and the violence hides in these, you know, perfect images of the American family. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's always one that people are like, oh, I didn't like that about it. And that, that's actually not the thing I didn't like about it. I, I think it can't seem to nail down what kind of a movie it wants to be. Mm-hmm. And then by the time it finally decides it's, I don't know, halfway over and you've kind of sat through like this like weird overly violent music video for to be honest i kind of feel like a lot of oliver stone's movies started getting like that though like they can't yeah i think he had a point of what kind of films they want to be i mean i think some of his earlier work does a better job you know films like platoon are Mm -hmm. phenomenal you know it's it's one of the best movies about vietnam uh that i've ever seen and and that that's a pretty straight up narrative but then you get stuff and even like you know born on the fourth of july and stuff. i think by the time he was making movies like this and jfk and a handful of others even even some of his relatively more recent things like w just kind of it's like what are you doing what are you trying to do it's it's mm-hmm. not as apparent as it used to be and i don't know maybe he's trying to force a style a little bit more i don't know yeah so um, it, it definitely it, it definitely feels feels off though. Yeah, I agree. And believe it or not, we've actually run ourselves out of time on this one already. Time flies when you're having fun every every day when we do these Absolutely. lately. But um, so how do you think you would come down on Natural Born Killers if you had to give it? You know, a grade? it's 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 interesting. I think if we were to be doing this ten years ago, I would have given it a better grade. I'm actually going to give it like a, a B minus, maybe even a C. Um, and maybe, yeah, so I would stick with the B minus. I don't want to put it in C category because it is, you know, it's a controversial film. It is, a. I I did enjoy watching it again. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm starting, I think watching it now, watching it with, with these particular eyes, I think it's, um, it does a good job and it still works very effectively as a, a satire about, or not even a satire, but just a statement and a reflection about violence in society. But the style of it itself, it, it, it seems to be too all over the place. And, um, and I think I can't make up my mind if that was, if that's good as a reflection of what the intended message was or not. And I think anytime your audience is walking away, not really sure what that movie was trying to tell me. Um, I, I think that's gonna, that that's showing in my opinion, kind of a, a problem with the storytelling. What about you? Yeah, um, I would probably give this a C, maybe even a C minus. I, I just did not enjoy it the way I used to, and it's funny because some of the things I loved about it back when, or some of the things that kind of got under my skin about it now, like I said, the world changes and we all grow as people and and change. So I feel like that's it's valid to have a different opinion when you're 16 about a film than you do when you're 35. So, um, yeah, I didn't really care for it. I like, I still like certain things about it there's some great performances here there's some 
um, parts of the film that really work for me. But in general, yeah, I just don't care for the presentation. I think Oliver Stone made some bad decisions here. I'm probably a little more on Tarantino's side. Uh, would have been interesting to see him get to make this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not sure it would have been perfect in that case either. But I feel like a lot of what Oliver Stone added to this really distracts from the main point of the film and that is that criticism of media you know the tagline of the film was like they're natural born killers but the media made them superstars and that was kind of the whole crux of things is the way that we relate to um, violence and murder and um the way it's repackaged and sold back to the masses and i think um all of the psychedelics and the um I don't know. I think it just kind of detracted from the main message of the movie. And if you can wade through all of that crap and Mm -hmm. uh, still get to that message, it still is pretty poignant. I agree. Like it's, it's certainly worth giving a shot, but I, I think it could have been done much better in a different filmmaker's hands. I, I don't mean, I don't hate on Oliver Stone. I certainly like a lot of his movies, but this is probably one of my least favorite ones. At least it's falling down the, down there so it is funny to see a film that i used to like really really enjoy and and i don't so much anymore it's interesting just in retrospect to look back and be like okay well what's changed about myself to make that happen but right um, right yeah didn't really care for it this time it just uh maybe 20 years from now I'll have a different opinion. Who knows? Hate it even but, more. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> most likely. <laughs> but, you know, and I, I think this is also, I just wanted to add, I think there, since this has come out, there have been a number of other films that have come out that essentially try to tell that same moral lesson, right? Mm-hmm. Um, w- without doing all of the unnecessary things that this film does and i think some of those are a little bit more effective and there may not even be films i necessarily like but um there's there's a number of films that have come out that that deal with this very issue about the glorification of violence and do so in a dark satire kind of way uh and some of them are kind of lower budget maybe there's things that we'll have to uh kind of reinvestigate on another episode of the of the video junk air podcast That'd be an interesting theme episode. Give us a little chance to unpack a little more of that. Mm -hmm. Because I think both in our True Romance episode last weekend and this week, we ended up kind of talking about the depictions of violence and kind of, you know, what it was all about. So um, Tarantino is certainly a figure in that it's easy to have that discussion because he gets the finger pointed at him a lot for being a very violent filmmaker, which I certainly is. But... um, Mm-hmm. Even in these two, that he wasn't responsible, at least not from the director's chair, I think. Um, we didn't even get a chance to talk about, like, the real the, the controversy behind it, like all the politicians and all the uh, news cycle crap that Natural Born Killers got, which the controversy created probably made it even even more popular film than it would have been in the first place. Oh, um, absolutely. In fact, and, and I guess we can kind of wrap it up uh, here, but I, I did want to mention that in, in doing a little bit of research for this, I, I came across something kind of amusing, and that was um, uh, two years after this movie came out, Senator and eventual U.S. President candidate Bob Dole 
um, gave a speech about about violence in films and how film executives should put out more family-oriented films, and he actually cited, you know, movies that are glorifying violence like True Romance and Natural Born Killers, and I was just like, oh, we have another theme here tonight. <laughs> this movie's that Bob Dole hates. It's the Bob Dole, Bob Dole episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bob Dole didn't like these, so, yep. so no. sorry, Bob Dole. Yeah. But he didn't like them in the third person, I'm sure, too. So. Uh, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. So, you know, Bob but, Dole's voice in my imagination still sounds like Norm MacDonald, not Bob Dole, by the way. So, yeah, yeah, I think mine, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess we're going to have to wrap this up here. But uh, yeah, we, we, as we mentioned last week, coming up soon, we have our Vampire vs. Werewolf episode. Um, and yeah, we're we also have a couple other research for that. Yeah, one. I know. And then we also have a couple Man. of things that we're going to be be kicking around as well. We've been playing around with about possibly doing uh, a, a series on a couple of Japanese horror films or, or Asian cinema. Um, possibly breaking free also of doing violent and horror films. Maybe looking at a couple of, of favorite forgotten comedies, some other forgotten franchises. Uh, we've been talking about doing some fun stuff for the holiday season. So. Yes, we have um, some... We have a great idea for holiday special or our next holiday special and can't wait to dive into that one. So Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. So make sure you uh, keep subscribing or tuning in or however it is you listen to the podcast. Feel free to drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. We always love to get comments and hear your opinions on the things that we're talking about on the uh, here on the show. So yeah, what do you guys think about Natural Born Killers? Are we just Did we become a couple of crotchety old men or are we on to something about the, that this film didn't age well? Yeah, yeah. And and by the way, and I feel like we didn't stress this enough, but Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis's performance in this is are great. I, I, I think they're, uh, they they do a fantastic job. Actually, nobody's performance is, is bad. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. uh you know, it's just kinda how the film was handled. It was just it, it didn't age as well as uh, as we thought it would. So but yeah, definitely want to know what you think about this. Feel free to drop us a line or leave a comment or go ahead and get a, a conversation started. We'd be happy to waste a lot of time on Facebook having those conversations with you. So, yeah, we're going to waste time on Facebook anyway. Might as well be talking to you. Yeah. So, so we'll uh, hope to uh, hope you're tuning in next time. Uh, until then, this is the Video Junkyard Podcast, and this is Joe Peterson. This is Eric Branson. Have a good night. Bye, everyone. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter at Video Junk Pod and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard?